welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. Uh, we are continuing with our exploration of the work of Pedro Almodovar. Uh, today we're looking at his fourth film, uh, What Have I Done to Deserve This?, which was the first of his films to be released uh, in the United States. Uh, it's the second of his films to be done for Tesauro, the uh, production company. It was released in 1984-85, uh, relatively low budget, 100 and some million pesetas, which would have been, I suppose, in those days about $100,000, right? Really quite cheap, but uh, a success in Spain. So uh, first impressions, Richard? Yeah, re really enjoyed it. I, I think I have seen this one, uh, but not for, not for years. Again, it's a progression on the other films. Um, it felt much closer to his, his later work slightly underground in terms of what the what the plot is there's some quite um over the line stuff shall we say <laughs> happens in this film yes. or is talked about in this film um but it's, it's done in a much more mature way and, and but it's very very funny i yeah, really enjoyed it what is the plot if you take <laughs> us through it so far as you can because this is another it's, of almodovar's convoluted plot yeah it's another one where there's a huge cast of characters and they're all interacting but uh i guess well, i guess the central character is is um this woman, she's a cleaning lady. She has a, a two teenage sons and a husband who's a taxi driver. And a, the husband's mother lives with them as well. And you know what? What can she do to make ends meet? But there's all these plots going on around that. So one of the sons is dealing drugs. The other son is sleeping with his friend's father. The taxi driver is gets involved in some bizarre plot to forge Hitler's diaries you know so the, there's the prostitute who lives next door there's, there's so there's all this stuff going on um it's uh i think what i liked about it was this this completely crazy plot but it's done in yes. a very sort of the, the characters are all taking it very seriously which kind of makes it fun yes. because it's it's they're very deadpan about about all this stuff that's going on um it's just matter of fact but it but when you're watching it it's it, it's insane it's very funny and it's very moving, I think. I also find it uh, moving. And um, again, you know, to think that uh, this film came out in Spain in 1984, you know, it really shocks me because, you know, this film really wasn't being made, you know, in America mm. in 1984. Yeah, you either have extremes like John Waters films, right, where people are eating shit or whatever, uh, and it's done for laughs and so on. Um, but, you know, in terms of like mainstream filmmaking or even underground filmmaking, you know, a kind of a film that feels like emotionally real, mm. you know, but that nonetheless, you know, has moments where it becomes kind of a science fiction film. Yeah, yeah. You know, with a girl with telekinesis, but also it feels like a, an Italian neorealist film mm. at some points, right? Kind of, you know, the mixture of things. It's very unusual, I think, and, and, and rare. And again something that w would not uh, be uh, made today, I don't think. Yeah, there no. are some scenes that um, are very, very funny, uh, you know, but just it would not be the whole dentist sequence, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no way you would, you would do that. There's yeah. no way. I, I was just looking yeah. at John Waters' credits, and, and around this time, he just made um, Polyester, uh -huh. 1981, which I, I think is... I mean, it's years since I've seen that, but I think that's sort of not dissimilar to the tone of this in that it's mm -hmm. trying to be a bit more mainstream, a bit more glossy, 
um, but still with that underground edge to it. So he, but then he he then had a, a long gap before he made Hairspray in, in eighty eight. So, um. Mm. Um, it's very interesting because Almodovar says that he didn't see a film, a John Waters film, until the mid eighties. But that obviously it must have been something in the air, right? Because he obviously sees the connection between the work. So I have a whole series of points, yeah, that, you know, I want your views on. So the first is, until now, almost all of his films have had a satirical advertisement, right? Uh, what did you think of this one? I really liked it. It's a, like a public information film about the dangers of spilling hot coffee on your face. <laughs> and I, yeah, I found that really, really funny. Did you recognize the actress who played? No, no. The woman who gets scalded. Was it the woman from um, from the previous film? Was the woman from Labyrinth of Passion. Okay, okay. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you about is camera placement, yeah? So one of the things that we've been talking about is how we see a developing skill, but they're still quite rough. You know, this film has very, very interesting choices about where the camera is placed. Are you saying about neorealism and it? it it did feel like he was going for for that kind of style. All the exteriors were done on location. You know, the very beginning of the film is clearly on location. I thought that was interesting as well, how you hear his voice. You hear Almodovar's voice opening the film. That's the first thing you hear yeah, yeah. in the film. And the first shot you see is a camera crew filming Gloria slash Carmen yeah, Laura, right? Yeah, That's yeah. the first shot. So, um, and then, I mean, what you're saying about you know, the city, the working class ambiance, you know, being in the film. I thought that was interesting because often when you have, throughout the film, you have the grandmother and one of the grandsons, you know, walking in what seems like the country. Mm. So you often have them silhouetted against a sky with a tree, right? And you have the reverse shot and you have the whole council asleep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So, you know, they're dreaming of one thing, but they're stuck on the other. Right, so I thought that was very interesting. I also thought there were um, fantastically inventive, completely unrealistic, or you know, point of view shots. Right, so you know, the scenes where Gloria is so tired that she's sniffing glue, and you know, she puts the wash in the washing machine. It's filmed from the washing mm, machine, mm. right? It's as if the camera is inside the washing machine, which I thought was very interesting. Then there are also those shots where she's sniffing glue and the camera's overhead, mm. yeah, and she she feels like plastered into that tight, yeah, narrow, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, living room. Uh, I thought the whole thing with the lizard where he gets stomped and that's the lizard's point of view. Mm. Oh again, yeah, the lizards was, walking through the yeah, the yeah, kind of steady yeah, camp lizard was, thing that was very clever. <laughs> yeah, that was so inventive. Yeah. And even the scene where she's walking with her neighbor where they see the curling iron. Mm. Yeah. If you noticed, again, that's filmed from inside the shop, yeah, even yeah. as they're walking outside. Right. So, you know, I think I think he's playing with that. I feel the camera feels a lot more motivated, more intelligent. I think you sometimes see that there's a lack of funds. So, you know, I think some of the conversations between the grandmother and the grandson as they're walking through what seems, you know, to be a park. It's all done in one long shot. You know, whereas you, I would have welcomed seeing what the character, the character's face is in that, and you think that must be money, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, there's no reason to keep the shot that long. It's just he probably couldn't break it up. 
uh, into different setups. Um, so anyway, I thought that was like, you know, quite um, interesting to see as we're seeing it in chronological order because he's clearly developing fast. Mm, and, mm. You know, the bigger the budget he has, you know, the more inventive it, the films are visually. You know? Yeah. Um, the film is seen as being postmodern. Do you have any view on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, as you say, you have the opening where you, um, you know, you, you, they expose the camera crew. And, it's self-reflexive. Are you, yeah, are you watching? Is, is a film being made in that location and she's just walking through it? Or are you watching the film being made? You get all those, you know, suddenly it breaks out into, as you say, you know, science fiction and um, the, you know, the scene where it's like, you know, it's like Mary Poppins or Bedknobs and Broomsticks where the little girl yes. do, does the does the decorating. It's quite a mix of genres, I would argue, yeah, and even acting styles. And then there are, you know, things like the advertisement and, you know, when the grandmother's watching TV and Almodovar himself appears with Fanny McNamara singing La Bien Paga. That's like kind of going out of the film in a way, but not quite, but it's definitely a different genre and some of it is very broad and some of it is very realistic. Mm, mm. Yeah. So, you know, there is a mixture of things there, you know, that do bring up uh, uh, kind of suggestions of postmodern aesthetics for sure. Um, do you have any views on camp mm. in relation to kitsch in this film? As with the previous films, it is, it, it is, it is very camp. And I think there are, there are elements of it that in other hands, could be really offensive, but managed not to be because it's got that layer of camp on it. The the you know the bits with the sun. It's it, it fascinates me because I find it very touching. I do find it like emotionally real. I feel for Gloria. Yeah, I feel her tiredness and you know her dilemmas and her lack of sexual satisfaction mm. and you know how she's cornered and oppressed by her husband and her situation. Um, but then there are scenes like, you know, Amadovar singing La Bien Paga or the dentist scene or, you know, the, the, the scene where the prostitute next door is visited by the client who ends up being uh, uh, Jaime Chavarria, film director, uh, and saying how, you know, he's so well endowed, he's going to split her open. I mean, those things are all happening on like completely yeah, different yeah. registers tonally, right? Yeah. You know? So some of it is camp, some of it is played on a realist vein. Uh, the characters are um, surrounded by kitschy things, mm. right? But I don't think the film is, right? And, and, you know, I think the bad taste in quotation marks here is a working class taste, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, those velvet paintings on the wall, the cushions, you know, the grandmother do it, painting the figurines, mm -hmm. right? All of them very working class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1980s. So I think, um, you know, I think it's true to a particular class aesthetic, right? Uh, that is kitsch, mm. yeah? But I don't think the film is being kitschy about it, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah? it's almost like there's a, in terms of the characters, there's a reality to the, the characters of the family um, you know, they call the family at the centre of the story. There's a reality to their characters, whereas some of the you know, the supporting characters that there isn't that reality to them. Um, yes. the, you know, they are. Yes. The, it is a kind of you know 
so you've got this, this almost kind of real family but then next door you've got this kind of caricature of a prostitute you've got these caricatured thug policemen you've got the dentist yeah. so there's no you don't get any sense of reality for most of those characters but you do you know you do feel for the family and particularly the ending where where you know she's almost about to kill herself and the son comes back and it, it, it's you know th- there is a reality to it despite the fact yeah. that what's led up to that is this ridiculous plot i think even within the family you know there are things that are completely emotionally legible mm. You know, but then flight within that there are also flights of fancy. You know, the whole grandmother, grandson conversation about the romantic poets and the realist. Yeah. Poets, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's pure camp, right? Yeah. But I think the way that these things are judged and developed, I mean, I think tonally the, the the film is so fascinating because for me it all works and yet it really shouldn't. Yeah, it kind of you yeah, know, such yeah. disparate uh, episodes. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about genre, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's a film that's a combination of many genres. I would argue the two that predominate are melodrama, right, whose whose purpose is to make you feel, right, and and comedy, yeah, which is to make you laugh. Uh, there are others which we'll talk about, but I just wondered if you had any thoughts on this particular mixture, which again I find quite rare. Yeah, as you say, it it, it is both of those things, and it does, and it it does kind of work and it, as you say it shouldn't work but it but it does and he, he manages to get the tone just keeping that tone right is is very hard and, and mm. uh, yeah he does manage it it's almost like you know a, i guess it's a parody of a melodrama i guess perhaps but um well it's not a parody in the sense that it works yeah right like yeah. you you feel for glory i think uh and i think that's partly due to carmen mauda again who i think is just so extraordinary mm. actually and this this might be the moment to talk about the performers you know because uh i think in this film that they're not all successful yeah i, I don't think but it, it has some of the best work certainly that uh Kevin uh, mauda has done mm. so i wondered if you have any thoughts just on the performances well no i thought she was great she really really stood out some of the other performances were a little broad the policeman the um, the forgers, that kind of thing. But then perhaps that was deliberate. Well, I think some of them were deliberate. Like, so for example, the the person who played the dentist, that is clearly deliberately broad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it works. And I don't have any argument with it. But for example, you know, the German woman I thought wasn't very good. The whole subplot of the forging of the letters and the writers and the saving for the facelifts and the kleptomaniac and, you know, the brother psychiatrist, I thought could easily have been lost as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, and also the actors weren't at the height of the others. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the, the whole Forged Diary thing, because it was only a year after the, the Hitler Diaries case. Of course, it was based on that. I don't know, it didn't really fit with the the rest of the film. I, and, the, you know, the, the fact that the the, yeah, the father's just this taxi driver, but suddenly he's, he's able to forge... Yeah. Documents. Well, that that I didn't mind, and actually, I thought the the the, the actor who played the husband, Angel de Andres Lopez, was very good. Uh, but I thought the couple uh, uh, was not very good. So uh, Amparo Soler Leal, yeah, who's the you know the, the person who's been writing her book for ten years, uh, and then uh, her husband, uh, which is uh, Gonzalo Suarez, who is uh, also a, a famous director. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, and he's a director I like, but he wasn't very good. Whereas Jaime Chavarri, who gave a very broad performance as the prostitute's client, Cristal's client, I thought he was very good. Yeah, and again, very broad, right? So I think, I mean, the film is operating on different registers and different and using different styles of performances, and that's fine. Yeah, but within that, some of them were not at the height of some of the others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you think of uh, the prostitute? She's a she's a great Spanish comic actress, Veronica Porque, whose father was a very famous director, and who died just this year. It was a very broad performance, but 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 really fun and and. Um you know, coming in in different wigs, different dominatrix outfits. Mm. And she and that character needed to be there to propel various aspects of the plot forward. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's like a Chekhov's prostitute kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you she know, was... to, to make the, the bits of, oh, yeah, there's some bits of wood, there's a lizard, there's this, that, the other. And, and uh, mm. yeah, I, 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 th I thought she was, she was fun. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you begin to see patternings now? This is the fourth film. Yeah, I mean, again, it's sort of, you know, there I mean, were more male characters in this one than than we've seen in most of the films, but it's still focused on these strong women, um, yeah, these, these kind of groups of women banding together. Um, there's I, one, one thing that struck me is I think most of the films so far, this has come up, this idea of people moving from, you know, they're in the city and they're not happy in the city and they want to move back to, they always want to move back to, they either want to move back to the village the village or they're in the village and they want to move to the city and, and uh the, the this comes up a lot so uh you know the grandmother talks about this all the time and, and and at the end they do do that it's similar to the end of dark habits where they're all you know heading off to the the convent in the countryside again um but yeah i, I think it, I, but also i think this sort of stylistic approach that he's developing of, of a which i think was noticeable in dark habits but didn't work as well as it does here of having this kind of ridiculous insane plot but that's taken very seriously by all the characters and, and they, they they don't react in a you know if you're directing fast you you could have your your performers delivering you know really over the top performance oh my god the police have killed the lizard or whatever you know but but they, they here it's just like oh okay you know of, of something else weird's happened or whatever, you know. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really like that. You know, one of the things about all Modover's films is they're very self-referential, yeah? We talked about this before, uh, and we'll see it much later. I noticed at the very beginning of the film, uh, I think when Gloria is cleaning the studio, though I'll have to check, there's a poster for Pepe Lucy Bond. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, kind of, you begin to see that. And, of course... The casting of the same actors, or you know, very mm. over and over again, is its own kind of yeah, self-referentiality. Yeah. It's part of how auteurs begin to create their world. Yeah, you know, a world that mm, is mm. recognizable either through tone or performers or or setting. And of course, the casting of himself, mm. right? Both you know, as the voice opening the film, and then on you know on TV. With Fanny McNamara, I mean, I think those are all kind of like really interesting, self-conscious, self-referential, postmodern things that should take you out of the narrative, you know, but that don't quite, that do work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing I just want to highlight is that this is the first time 
that we see Almodovar's mother. So the old lady that you saw in the dentist's office mm. and at the coach station at the end talking to okay. Chus Lampreale is Almodovar's real mother. Okay, right? right, right. Yeah, who will appear in the rest of his films until she dies, mm. right? Uh, so that's another kind of form of yeah, of that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I think what I find interesting uh, about those castings is that they add an anchor of reality to the film, mm. right? So I think the way that his mother speaks is the way that I hear my relatives speak, right? The same phrases, you know, about people dying and people in the village dying and there's not a single person left, <laughs> right? Those kind, you know, and the type of greetings that they have, I mean, absolutely recognizable mm. from mm. my own family. And of course, you can see how the grandmother, the fictional grandmother in the film, you know, a lot of her way of speaking is very similar to Amadova's own mother in the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and so, and, and that is something that I think uh, Anglo critics haven't picked up uh, on, you know, because why would they know? But, you know, the, the, the dialogue is very recognizable. Yeah, it's kind of, it's one of the things that if you speak the language, adds a layer of realism to the film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, true to the period and that type of person and so on. Um, do you have any views on the ending? I thought the ending was great. I mean, it's um, so yeah. Spoiler alert: the um, the husband's been killed. The older son and the grandmother go off to the village, and so Gloria is left alone in the flat. And she goes out on the balcony, and you just get the view, the idea that she's going to kill herself. But then the the the, the younger son comes home, and I think it's yeah, very a very touching scene. I, I, I loved it. Mm. I mean, I loved it because. So in 1984, it's the gay son who she sold to the dentist, pretty much, mm. yeah, who she's placed at the dentist, uh, who uh, is her happy ending yeah, and gives yeah. her a reason to live, right? And that, in its own way, I find quite radical mm. yeah, for the period. Um, and I wonder if you have any thoughts on, you know, because the film has been seen as, as a real critique of the culture, but not a message movie. And I just wondered, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I mean, one thing that struck me, and this ties in with something you were saying last week or the week before, was around the, you know, the 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 culture in, I'm not sure if in Spain in general at that point, or but certainly in Madrid at that time of, of, of drug use and, mm. and, and, and sex. And certainly in terms of drug use, you know, everyone, Everyone is using some sort of drugs. Uh, you know, the, the the kids are using I don't know heroin or whatever it is, and you know, the mother's sometimes sniffing glue. She's also addicted to uh, tranquilizers or, or painkillers or whatever. Methamphetamine. Yeah. I think, the really, the, the grandmother has a a stash of you know not actually drugs but kind of you know tonic wine that kind of thing. The the older son is dealing drugs to the prostitute. You know, everyone's having sex with everyone else you know i'm not sure he's actually critiquing that culture but it it's certainly that that the fact that everyone at every level in that group of people was behaving that way was interesting given what you were saying about the problems in in that society at that point or a few years later and like iglesia's kinky films mm. yeah el pico uh one and 
films like that are a really interesting comparison you know to to this because uh, they're very melodramatic as well you know but they're done in a different style and they deal explicitly with people in in estates yeah kind of falling into drugs mm, mm. Um, you know and becoming addictive so it's, it is very much uh, of its time uh, in that sense um, another thing that I see in this film and that is a constant in Almodovar's work is his use of films and film stars uh, to to make a point mm. yeah in his own film so but the gay son has a poster of Sarah Monkel, who's the big gay diva okay, of the yeah. period, right? Uh, in his wall. And he's also got a, a poster of Paul Newman, mm. yeah? yeah, by his bunk. Um, but of course, the film that the grandmother and the grandson go to see uh, is uh, Splendor in the Grass, mm. the Elia Kazan film. Keep your eye for it, because this is something he will use over and okay. over again. He, he uses classic films as a way of either furthering the plot or commenting on the action. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, you know, and this is kind of a clear uh, uh, example. I mean, the whole thing about going to the village and the land mm. and freedom and, and the whole sexual frustration thing and so on is very much something that comes out of uh, splendor uh, in the grass. We've touched on tone, but we haven't kind of really spoken of it, I suppose. Or do you have any anything to say about it? Well, it treats the the emotions of the characters seriously, but it doesn't really treat many things seriously. And I, and I think for that reason, it gets away with things that it otherwise wouldn't get away with because it is just so funny. And I'm thinking of things like the, you know, the, the hit the diaries thing, the, uh, I mean, the scene with the, where she, she accidentally kills the husband with the, with the hand bone, which is, stolen from a Roald Dahl story. Um, the, but, but also the stuff with the, with the gay son um, and the dentist. It just about gets away with it because of the tone, because it is a very funny scene. Um, mm. A different filmmaker handling that in a different way, it would, it would have been very hard to stomach, I think. Some people think that this is Almodovar's greatest film. Mm. Mm. I mean, do you have any views based on what you've seen so far? It's certainly his best film up to that point. Um, I, I think we, we can agree on yeah, this. Because obviously you can divide his career into different eras, as with any filmmaker, there'll be people who prefer his earlier work because it was perhaps rawer, more honest or whatever, less glossy. And so if you if you prefer El Modovar's early work, you are going to think this is the greatest film because it is the best of his early films. I think this is the best of his early mm. films, without a question. I also think that it's a great film. You know, I mean, some of the things that happen in this film or the way the film makes you laugh and what it makes you laugh about or what it makes you feel sad about. He's very successful at getting you to laugh and at getting you, you know, to feel. Uh, and, you know, he definitely always, like, sides with the powerless. You know, we're all with Gloria on this, right? Even when she matter-of-factly leaves her son with a dentist, her nine-year-old son or 11-year-old, whatever Yeah, it's 12, 12 or 13. Uh, so I think we should talk about that a bit because I think it's an interesting scene. And I, and I think um, yeah. it's that element of it, it's hard to see that being made that way now. Um, no. But I would say I, I, I didn't, in this film, I didn't have a problem with it because none of it is, there's nothing shown on screen, right? It's, it's only 
it's talked about. So there, there, there are scenes where the boy and the mother talk about it. So the, fir the first scene is um, he, he comes home, he's been supposedly studying with a friend and Gloria's like, oh no, you haven't, you've been sleeping with his father again, haven't you? And he's like, well, it's, it's, it's my body, I do what I want with it. Um, and and you know, that's it. And then this, this second scene where, um, you know, she takes him to the dentist. The dentist is obviously gay and is talking about the fact that he's, you know, he's never been married. He's, he, he did think about adopting, but it was too difficult. Um, and then the mother says, oh, Gloria says, well, what do we do about the bill? Um, and he goes, oh, let's go and have a chat. And they come out of the office and you don't know what's been agreed. But it's like, oh, the dentist is going to adopt you. And it's cool, you know, it's very clear what that means. And, and she buys her hair curler. After, exactly. So yeah. yeah. So money's exchanged. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of, you know, entirely because of the age of the kid who's you know clearly 12 or 13. Yeah. If, if the kid was 16, 17, okay. but, but he's 12 or 13. And, and um, so the, that idea is quite offensive, very offensive, but, but you're not, you know, nothing is, nothing is shown, you know, there's no, yeah. um, and, but it, I think the thing is, there's a, and perhaps this goes back to her walking through the film set at the beginning, because there's, you know, there's, there's the way that scene is shown on screen, which is, you know, this quite comedic scene with this very camp dentist who's makes some offer and then she goes on by the hair, buys the hair curlers. But then you think about what's really happened there. You know, the reality of it is she's in a position where the only choice she, well, one of the choices she can make is to essentially sell, sell her son, sell her son's body. And then, and so there's perhaps a kind of, there is a neo-realist version of, of that plot that could be, sure. that, that's, that's perhaps what's really happening. And that's when you, you know, at the end, you know, that's, you're seeing the resolution of that version, not the camp version. But. I mean, I've, uh, I've taught this film uh, a few times and I found student response interest because they, they never have any problem with the dentist scene, no. right? They see it for what it is, it's farce, they laugh and they understand what they're laughing about. Yeah, yeah. The, the scene that makes students uncomfortable is the scene with Jaime Chavari doing his triptease, saying, you know, how he's so well endowed that he only goes to prostitutes because only a prostitute could take, you know, what he has to offer. And that, you know, the, the women in the class get very uncomfortable, even though from my point of view, it's, it's, it's equally done as farce as a joke, as a, it's almost like a vaudeville sketch, right? You know, the punchline is when he's on top of her and she's orgasm, but Gloria has to go and she fakes the orgasm and looks, you know, is blowing her nails, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, so obviously yeah. that's the punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, not, he's not what he thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, she wouldn't be blowing her nails. Yeah. But it's interesting that that makes people uncomfortable and not what we would think, which is... Yeah, the mother selling her son. The, the way it's done is so ridiculous with the, with the dentist, and and you, you know she just goes home, and for a start for quite for about twenty minutes of the film, nobody notices <laughs> that the younger yes. son isn't there, and eventually someone says, Where, "Where's um, where's Tony? Oh, oh, he's living with the dentist now," and and that's it. And I th I think. And the other son says, "Some people have all the luck." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so there's that because of that because it it, it is so not realistic you know but also i think you know if you if there was a scene with the boy in the dentist apartment 
you couldn't do that. No. But because you don't have that, you know, it, you 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 know, because you always worry with that kind of sequence, you know, because yeah, because clearly the actor is twelve, thirteen, but the actor isn't being asked to do anything. Um, he's just being asked to talk about stuff, and he clearly knows what he's talking about. But, you know. I want to before we we go. I'd like to talk a little bit about the scene with the girl with telekinesis mm. and her mother, right? Because, you know, that is constantly funny. The mother's expressions are constantly funny. Yet, there's also a very real, not suggestion, you you, you know she's abusing this child, mm. right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and, I, you know, so, so when we were talking earlier about the film having a critique, that's part of it. Like, you know, you, you do see, like, child abuse and you see the patriarchy at work in every way, you know, yeah. And you see, like, there's a class critique. These, these people are both working all the hours mm, that, mm. you know, God gives and they still can't make ends meet and, you know, they're living in this crappy flat and, yeah. So, um, but any thoughts about about that carry? Yeah, <laughs> but it's it almost, carry bits. again, as with, the, as with the dentist scene, it's almost like there's this, there's this fantasy version that you're being shown as part of the film that's being made and there's perhaps a, you know, a much less palatable to watch real version which is that the girl is being abused by her mother i mean you know she's being hit uh but then you know what, what you the, the outcome is you see you know the scene where the the early on where the girl makes the lift stop between floors by just by staring at it and then runs off and then and then the scene with the um with the with decorating and it's like mary poppins and and so it, it is I don't, yeah to me it feels like that he's showing us this kind of you know hollywood fantasy version of of what's going on, but making you aware that there's a reality to the situation. Yes, and I think that's uh, that's his talent, really. Uh, I do think this is a really great film. I, you know, and I sometimes catch myself because I think it's a masterpiece, and I think, oh, you know, but I don't like this, and I don't like that bit, right? You know, and it's true that, you know, I don't. But is it, you know, but they, it never bothers me when watching the film. It's not as if. You know they're so bad that it takes you out of the film they're just not as great as some of the others but then i think you know choose lampreale as the grandmother and carmen maura as the mother i mean i think those are like some of the greatest performances in film history yeah really, yeah you know? and i like the idea that you don't have to be a great you don't have to have great technique to make great movies you know and i think what's exciting about this film for me is that I do think it's a great film, but one in which, you know, Almodovar's uh, skills of mise-en-scene are not, are already very good, much better mm. than they were three films ago, but not yet at the heights that he would soon reach. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's part of what makes the film also so exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Highly recommend that you see it. I think it's uh, arguably Almodovar's key film from his first period, it's the film that jump-started his career internationally. It was shown at the New York Film Festival, and it made his career. And also, it, it's where gay audiences discovered him, right, at the New York Film Festival. And for a while afterwards, he would have an international gay audience that wasn't yet quite yet a mainstream art mm. house audience, mm. right? So kind of, you know, the way that these things develop is very interesting one, and in that sense it's a key film. Uh, as well as a very, very funny and moving film. Uh, so, uh, thank you all very much for listening. 
Uh, we are thinking aloud about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Bye-bye. Bye. Voy de tu ver